Welcome to the Empathy Exchange Podcast, the show dedicated to helping seniors care staff and residents' families build relational connections based on trust, respect, and understanding as partners in care. To work together in the shared goal of providing the best possible quality of life and care for people living in seniors care, your residents and loved ones. So if you work in seniors care or you're a family member, this podcast is for you. I'm your host, Deborah Bakti. Hi, and welcome to episode four. We're going to be talking about narratives today and how narratives show up in seniors care with families as well as care team members and how narratives can actually either help or hinder the relationship between staff and families. And when I'm talking about narratives, what I'm referring to are the stories that we tell, the beliefs that we have, and sometimes they're limited beliefs. So I want to give you a couple of examples. I was speaking to a friend of mine the other week, and her mother-in-law has recently uh, been in and out of hospital and finally uh, has managed to land in a retirement home with some assisted living. And as she was talking to me about this new change, she said something to the effect of, you know what, it's all going to be good. She won't have any more falls and we're not going to have anything to worry about anymore. That was my friend's narrative about this move. And she knows what I do for a living. And I said, well, let's let's just look at what you've just indicated, that uh, it's all going to be good. She's not going to have any more falls and you won't have anything to worry about anymore. And we kind of broke that down, that it wasn't necessarily aligned with reality. Uh, that was her belief and also, I would say, partly her hope. I want to share some other common narratives that I hear from families or that families have expressed to staff working in seniors care. Well, people who get paid to care don't actually care. It's us against them. With everything in the media, we have to protect our loved ones. My loved one will get better and won't have any more falls. Or my loved one will decline because they're in long-term care. And the last one that I want to share is my loved one will get 24-7 one-on-one care. So these are all common narratives that can actually contribute to friction and frustration in a relationship and how families are coming into the seniors care uh, environment with some of these limiting beliefs, assumptions, and stories that they're telling. Now, on the other side of the coin is narratives that staff can have. And I want to share a story about a staff member who was involved in one of my training programs, and she shared how earlier that day there was a new resident moving in and his family members were his two daughters. And a couple of the staff who had been involved in the admission experience came up to her and a couple of other staff and said, oh, this new family, 
they are going to be a nightmare. They were so rude. I just know they're going to be difficult to deal with. There's going to be they're going to be one of those families, and I just hope that I don't have to work a shift on that floor where they're going to be because it's just going to be a nightmare. This is an example of a narrative that was starting to grow legs. And Amy, the staff person who was telling the story, uh, she said, you know, I decided to go over and find out for myself, uh, you know, is this a, an assumption, a limiting belief? And she went and she introduced herself to the family. And uh, she just started by asking them some questions, a little bit about their journey so far and coming into long-term care and uh, a few other questions. And then she asked the the question that really just broke open everything. And she said, I'm curious, what are you most worried about moving your dad into our home? And the sisters kind of looked at each other and the one said, well, all right. You know, our dad has been doing things that he's never, ever done before that, quite frankly, are pretty inappropriate. And he's been saying things that, I mean, this kind of stuff would never have come out of his mouth before. And so, you know, we just figure it's only going to be a matter of time. Somebody from the home here is going to call us up and say, you know what, we can't deal with your dad. He's too much. Uh, we can't manage him. You're going to have to pick him up and find somewhere else for him to live because we can't deal with him. It was in that experience that Amy was able to help rewrite the narrative in being able to, first of all, validate how they were feeling. And it's a real feeling and it's an understandable feeling. And to be able to educate them that they are very well equipped to be able to take care of their dad and to provide the assurance, we've got your back, we've got your dad. This isn't our first rodeo in working with complex and challenging um, expressions. So I share that because that was an example of a staff developing a narrative about this family being difficult. And difficult families is one of those labels that can be used. Here are some other common narratives that I've heard from staff as it relates to families. Families can have unrealistic expectations. And I'm going to be doing a whole episode to talk about expectations because that's a big topic. Another one is we have to be on guard, almost defensive with families based on negative experiences in the past that we've had with other challenging families. And I suspect with the two staff that came up to share that story with Amy, they probably have felt that they've been burned by a similar situation with a family having that kind of a reaction. Another one is, well, if the families, if they work in healthcare, and not necessarily long-term care, but within the healthcare spectrum, they can be more challenging to work with. This assumption or narrative that because they have healthcare experience, they're thinking the experience in acute care, for example, will be exactly the same as in long-term care. Another narrative is, well, every home is the same, whether it's comparing homes within long-term care or comparing homes 
better long-term care, retirement living, assisted living. Um, there still uh, can be confusion between the different types of care homes that are provided. So as you can see, we can have a situation where you have families coming into seniors care and they already have their pre-existing narrative beliefs whether it's they've gathered this from other people who maybe have had a negative experience, or it could be all of the negative media stories that they've been reading about and they think that it's commonplace that these things happen. And then you've got the staff who are forming their narratives based on previous experiences with families that maybe they've had some friction and, and conflict and complaints and escalations. And so they're a little bit um, kind of on their back foot. So with all of this work that I've done, I've, I've created a couple of, I describe them almost like composites, a composite of the narratives and the limiting beliefs. The first one I'm going to share is the composite of staff with families. Difficult families are just another cost of doing business in seniors care. There's nothing you can do about it. Every home has at least one, if not more, difficult, passionate, challenging family. So do what you can to avoid eye contact. If you see them coming down the hall, just kind of deek into the room until they pass. Because at the end of the day, difficult families are just another cost of doing business in seniors care. A main driver of the work that I do is that I do not believe that that is fact. It's a limiting belief that gets in the way of being able to build those relationships based on trust, respect, and partnership. On the other side, a composite of a family narrative kind of goes like this. You know, staff, they don't really care. It's just a job to them. People who get paid to care don't actually care. You know that, right? <laughs> Again, another limiting belief. I'm not saying that 100% of all people who work in seniors care have this high degree level of caring, but most, the majority, the massive majority, they do. I've even had a family member say to me, you know, because they don't pay people enough <laughs> to work in that business. They're not in it for the money. So here we are. We're both coming together again with the same goal, yet you'll hear me say over and over again, that common purpose of wanting the best possible quality of life and care for their resident, the family's loved one. And that's why it's so important to be intentional with how we are going to create the very start of this relationship to be able to build the best possible outcomes for the resident, for the care team members, and for the families. So I think the first step with the work that I do is creating awareness around these narratives. And part of that exercise is working with staff and families and just basically asking them, what are the narratives that you have heard, you have thought, you have felt, you have said about the families? 
And the same thing with the families. What are the narratives, the beliefs that you have about seniors care or the home that your, that your loved one is moving into or is living? Because once we're able to create that awareness, I think it empowers us to be able to acknowledge that by carrying narratives that are limiting, that are based on assumption, that we're actually contributing to the possible friction in the relationship. Going back to the, the story with Amy and the two sisters, we don't know what would have happened if she hadn't actually intervened in that way, how that could have spiraled and then become a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy where that was not the situation at all that was happening. The family wasn't trying to be rude. It was their fear and their grief that was showing up as rudeness or how it was interpreted by the staff. So once we have some awareness, and it takes a bit of courage to be able to say, okay, let's just put it out there, to then challenge those narratives. What story am I telling about this? And if when you first moved your loved one into care, or when as a care team member, you met a family for the first time, and now it's been a few weeks and a few months and the relationship has changed, how has it changed? And how do you know your stories are true? <laughs> And how useful is this story to your desired goal of quality care and life for your loved one or your resident? There's a, a book that's being written by Lori Gottlieb, and it's called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. The subtitle to the book is A Therapist, Her Therapist, and Our Lives Revealed. And she talks about how we're all unreliable narrators. And she's done a TED Talk that I will put a link in the show notes that's called How Changing Your Story Can Change Your Life. And in this TED Talk, she talks about being able to rewrite your story, to think about what would be a more useful narrative, and to think about what questions you can ask to clarify your story and your beliefs. As Lori Gottlieb says, how can you edit your story, the narrative? the assumption. Because as I mentioned earlier, one of the downsides of really digging into our story, kind of settling in and owning it, is that we can then create these self-fulfilling prophecies. If you're looking for trouble, you're going to find it. We are looking for evidence to validate the belief, the assumption, the story that we have. And that's going to get in the way of the common goal and purpose of the best possible quality of life and care. And I think all of us really do want to have positive, healthy relationships, particularly when the stakes are high. When I work with homes, uh, I hear a lot of stories about how a complaint can escalate and, and then it becomes a whole thing. And then what happens is that the staff start to feel defensive and reactive, and then they almost try to try too much, and then this whole perfect storm scenario starts to happen, where they're trying so hard, more mistakes are being made, and then they're feeling like they're walking on eggshells or working on eggshells. And then that starts to erode their confidence, and they start to feel deflated. And so it becomes this 
whole thing that if we allow a certain narrative to take hold and then these escalations start to happen and we're creating that defensiveness and reactiveness, it ends up creating some undesirable outcomes that then everyone gets pulled down. When Ty was in care, I got a phone call that his glasses were broken. And the way that it was explained to me was that Ty had put his glasses in his front pocket of his shirt. And then the shirt went down to laundry. And because he hadn't taken his glasses out of his shirt pocket, the glasses got broken in the laundry system. And so he doesn't have glasses that he can wear now. Was it annoying? Uh, absolutely. It was going to cost probably six to $700 for me to replace those glasses. And no, they were not going to pay for a replacement. And when I can think back on that call, I was pretty worn out, overwhelmed, depleted. And I was hearing just one more thing that I was going to have to deal with to get taken care of, one more task, and I was already overloaded with so many other things. And I think in hindsight, I reacted to what I heard. I don't know that they actually said it this way, but what I heard was that he broke his glasses. And so the, he's now getting blamed for his broken glasses. And I created a narrative about that. Oh, so now they're going to blame Ty for this, and then he's going to have weeks without glasses. And it just, again, it became a whole thing. And I would say I probably blew it out of proportion for a whole bunch of different reasons. But there's an example of the narrative that I was making up about the story that wasn't really factual and was taking away from getting the situation resolved so that Ty would have a decent pair of glasses that he can be wearing again. You know, and I'm pretty sure that there would have been some staff that would have been walking on eggshells after that. And I had my narrative about them, and they probably had their narrative about me based on my reaction, which, again, was pretty disproportionate. If you'd like to learn more about the work that I do in providing staff training, family training, or if you're also looking to redesign your admission process, you can find me at debrabakti.com. And you can email me at debra@debrabakti.com, and all that information will be in the show notes. Here's the other thing. It's exhausting to stay stuck in a story that's not useful where we ruminate and tell others about our story over and over, and it just doesn't move us or what we want forward. In Lori Gottlieb's TED Talk, she says, We tell stories to make sense of our lives, and those stories can keep us stuck. We assume our circumstances shape our stories. But she found in her work as a therapist that the exact opposite happens. She says the way we narrate our lives shapes what they become. There was a couple of months where I had this narrative in my head that when people looked at me, they were saying, oh, that poor woman whose husband's dying in a nursing home. It was a heavy narrative 
the story I was telling myself. And yes, did people look at me with sympathy, sorrow, for sure. But I chose to make the narrative about that poor woman whose husband's dying in a nursing home. Ty was actually living in a long-term care home. We were in a suboptimal, less than ideal situation. But when I was able to recognize the narrative that I was telling myself about what, how I thought other people were perceiving me, and to be able to turn that around, it certainly lifted my energy and my perspective. I want to go back to a couple general narratives, because there was quite a few that I shared at the beginning of this podcast. And if I were to look at a theme or a kind of like a category, we can have staff who refer to families as difficult families, and we can have families who refer to staff as defensive staff. What if it's not really that, but it's more like a difficult relationship happens to be with that family or a defensive relationship that happens to be with the staff? Because if we look at a family as being a difficult family, there's not much we can do about it. It's full of judgment. It's a label that's not useful or helpful. But if we're able to look at it as a difficult family relationship or a difficult relationship with this family, then we get to play a part in that because it's a relationship. And to think of how are we contributing to the difficult factor or how can we alleviate some of that difficulty and take some of the friction out. And the same could be said, you know, where I hear from families that say, you know, the staff, they just, they just get so defensive. And then if that becomes the story, anytime you're approaching the staff with something and in your head you're thinking, well, they're just going to get defensive. It doesn't really matter what I say. But if you're experiencing this as a defensive relationship, then that gives you some opportunities to think about how can I approach this differently to lower that level of defensiveness and create more openness. When we're able to shift from labeling as difficult or defensive to a difficult or defensive relationship, it gives us agency. And the power to shift out of that difficult or defensive relationship, because if it's a relationship we're involved in, then we can choose to more positively impact and influence it. So I want to encourage you to think about, and even write out, what are your narratives that may be contributing to the friction in your relationships? And here we're talking specifically between care team and families, but this can also apply in any relationship you have, where you feel that there may be friction or conflict, or you have assumptions or narratives that are not helpful. And a part of this is to be able to recognize when our narratives or our assumptions have judgment in them. This is the interesting thing about judgment, is that as human beings, we are actually hardwired to judge and to give advice and to gossip. <laughs> it's how we create bonds. I'm not saying it's a positive way, but notice next time you find yourself judging or giving advice or gossiping, 
And if you're sharing that judgment with somebody else, it can kind of lead to gossip. If your narrative has some judgment in it, like families, they have unrealistic expectations or staff who get paid to care don't actually care. That's not going to be able to move forward and getting stuck in that narrative. But the antidote to judgment is curiosity. I would actually say curiosity is one of the superpowers that we have that when we can tap into it, can transform relationships. Here's the thing with curiosity. There's so many benefits to being in a state of curiosity. It's a way to be able to build connections and to be able to help shift your perspective. Curiosity has a really soft energy about it. And in my presentations, I use a slide and it's a picture of a pug with his head kind of tilted to the side. Because when you really think about truly genuinely being curious, we are opening ourselves up and we're not filtering by asking a question of curiosity, assuming that we know the answer. When we are genuinely curious, not kind of peppering to get the answers that we want, but genuinely curious, it invites non-judgmental conversation. I suggest the next time that you feel judgmental or angry, and that may be sometime today after you've listened to this podcast, challenge yourself to think about if I were curious in this situation, what could be different? So when we think about some of the narratives or the assumptions, how they can have some judgment to it or how we can bring a sense of curiosity, you know, one of the beliefs or expectations that families have is, well, my loved one is supposed to get 24-7 one-on-one care. And in fact, in the Now What book, that's the first of 20 misconceptions. So staff can get very frustrated, be like, where does a family think that we have the staffing and the resources to be with their loved one 24 hours a day, one-on-one? That's not how it works. And, you know, talking about in the knowledge gap, families don't know what they don't know, and it's not their fault. So as a staff member, to bring curiosity in, you could ask yourself, I wonder how the family has the belief that we provide 24-7 one-on-one care. Or, I'm curious how we can effectively educate the family so that we can better communicate and manage expectations. When you're able to add, I wonder, or I'm curious, and phrase it as a question, then it helps our brains to start seeking the answer in a more productive way. Because even if we were to say, you know, why would the family think that they are going to get 24-7 one-on-one care? It still sounds like a little bit of judgment in that question. The other thing with curiosity is it is a practice. According to some research that I've read, they say the average four-year-old asks over 400 questions a day. And if you've ever had a four-year-old, you're probably thinking, uh, probably more than that. And the average adult is a far less number of questions that they're asking. Somewhere along the line, the curiosity that we had as children seems to just lessen. And so it's a practice to be able to build our curiosity, and it's a bridge to compassion and to empathy. 
And I also think that when we're curious, genuinely curious, it can help to de-escalate those passionate emotions and reactive triggers that can happen. It also, when we're being curious, we're not going to be in that place of judgment and holding our own and getting into that defensive reactive state. For families to be able to bring curiosity in, you know, if we go back to that, if the assumption or the limiting belief is that people who get paid to care don't really care, and if that's something that you're wondering or considering, could that be true, then as a family, you could say, how can I get to know the staff to better understand how they care about my loved one, right? I mean, there's a lot of curiosity in there. And, the, and not necessarily the how they care from a clinical perspective, but what brought this person to work in seniors care, right? When you get to know the person a little bit outside of the clinical delivery of the care and understand their story a little bit more, it can help to inform you if that, in fact, is a limiting belief or a story that needs to be edited. So I want to provide you with some questions that you can ask to help rewrite or edit some of these narratives. So if you're working in seniors care, these would be some internal questions that you can use with your team. What do you want your families to know and believe about your home and your staff? What's the narrative you want to move away from? So if the narrative is it's us versus them, and that's a narrative that can, that can be expressed by both families and staff. What's the narrative you're moving toward? So maybe it's going from us versus them to us with them. What are the positive narratives that families have about your home and team? And how can you share those stories more broadly to help shape new family perceptions and experiences? So these are great questions. We'll include these questions in the show notes. And for those of you working in seniors care, bring this conversation, share this podcast episode and ask your staff, what are some of the narratives and give them that safe place. It's okay for us to talk about this because we want to be able to shift it. We want to be able to challenge ourselves and each other with these narratives that are not helping. And for staff to be able to ask families, we'd love to better understand your understanding and familiarity with seniors care. Can you tell me a bit about what you know or have experienced already with seniors care? What perceptions do you have about seniors care? Well, asking a family right off the bat, what perceptions do you have? Because if they're going to start referencing scary newspaper articles, then you're able to help educate them and clarify some of those misconceptions. What are you most looking forward to? Right. They're moving their loved one here. Uh, what is it that they're most looking forward to? It could be that you know they're going to have their meals prepared for them. I don't have to worry about them being um, undernourished. Or there's activities that I think that they'll really enjoy and get to meet more people because they've been spending so much time in their home by themselves. And you know the question that Amy asked, what are you most worried about moving your loved one to our home? I know it takes courage to ask the question, but it's going to give you so much information as to where the family's at, what their worries are, what's keeping them up at night. What's most important to you? You know, for me, it was important that Ty was in a home where there would be 
other residents that were close to his age that would have similar interests. Um, I knew that he wanted to be able to go to the pub nights that they were having and meet people there and the activities. That was what was important to me. Um, I wasn't as worked up about missing laundry as an example. That wasn't a, a big hot button for me. So it's helpful to know what's important to the family. Another is, what do you need to feel like you've made the best decision moving your loved one here? Is it information? Is it emotional support? Families want to be validated that they've made the best possible choice in a suboptimal situation. So ask them. And the last two questions are really more about them. And they're so powerful. To say, how are you feeling about this big change in your life right now? As caregivers, there's so many questions about our loved one as it should be. There's a lot of information that needs to be gathered. But when you're able just to take a beat and say, how are you feeling? You know, this is probably being a really stressful day for you. You may be feeling some overwhelmed. How are you feeling? And the follow-up question, how can we support you as a family member going through this stressful and challenging time? You're building a connection. And just being asked that question and having someone looking at the family member in their eyes and asking about them is profound. Families can also be proactive with sharing a bit more about themselves and their family uh, with the staff. So for example, as a family member, you could say, I want to share a few things about where we're at with moving our loved one into your home to help us get started right from the start. Great. Let's talk about that. You can think about, and whether you write this down to reference, but reflect on what are your hopes with moving your loved one to this home? What are you most hoping for? What are you most worried about? What's keeping you up at night? As a family member, you may be in a home where they're not asking those questions, but you can be proactive to say, I've been reflecting on some of these questions and I just want to give you some context to help you in our relationship. What would be most helpful to you as a family member new to this community? You may want to find out more about family supports, the family council. Maybe your loved one would want to get involved in the resident council. Maybe you want to meet other families in a less formal fashion. But to think about what would be most helpful for you as a new member in this community. And you can also share, here are some of the narratives I have about seniors care. I uh, think it's helpful to share and would love your perspective. You know, if you're able to say, you know, I kind of feel bad saying this, but um, I've had this narrative that people who get paid to care don't really care. Would love to have a conversation about that. And I can guarantee you they could share all sorts of stories or introduce you to staff where you will see that come to life, that they actually do care and really grow to, to love the residents that they care for. You could also share, this is how I'm feeling about this big life change. Maybe you're feeling lost, overwhelmed, not sure what to do with your days, whatever that is, I encourage you to share those things. I hope this episode's been helpful for you. 
we all can take the opportunity to step back to see and appreciate that we all have narratives. We are story-making machines. We do it all the time. But to think about how can we edit our story and our narratives to validate, is this even true? Is it useful? Is it helpful? And if not, how we can rewrite that? How can we gather more information and insight from others to help shift or edit the narrative so that you can create more clarity and more comfort. And remember, your power is in your presence, so make your presence matter.